Open your Bible with me uh, this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll be looking at verses 5 through 9. We're in a portion of the letter where Paul is um, applying the truths of the gospel that he explained in the first three chapters. And now in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul is explaining the difference that gospel makes, the transformation that it causes. And uh, he's done that in, in the life uh, in, in regards to the family, in, in terms of our marriages, in terms of uh, parent-child relationships, and now uh, in terms also of um, employer-employee relationships, bond servants and masters, verses 5 through uh, 9. Let's give our attention to God's Word this morning. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, you've made us to be people who work, and we thank you for that, and yet, Lord, our work is often a place of anxiety and, and trouble and, and sin, and we ask, Lord, that today you would open our eyes to see and ears to hear how the gospel sets us free to work in a brand new way. Uh, that our lives, Lord, could shine for the glory of God in this, in this dark and evil age. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I read an article last week uh, that uh, the title caught my attention. It said something about Sunday night anxiety. <clears throat> and um, so I, I checked it out, and maybe you've heard of it before. Another word they used was the Sunday scaries. And Sunday night anxiety uh, is defined as that dread that you feel on Sunday night as you think about going to work uh, the next day, Monday. Um, it, it's a real thing. People, uh, people get counsel for this. Uh, the, the, title, the article begins, there's nothing quite like the feeling of dread which creeps in on a Sunday evening as you think of returning back to work. Um, that's not the way it was meant to be, right? When God called Adam and Eve to go and uh, work the garden, and make it bear fruit for the glory of God, uh, Adam and Eve did not have, uh, you know, Saturday evening anxiety. Uh, it was a joy to them to pick up the labor that God had given them to do and to see God's blessing on it and to, in a sense, really discover and, uh, their own humanity in it. Uh, work is, is good. It's God-honoring. And yet it is fraught with difficulty. Um, the, the world has long recognized that labor relationships are just filled with problems. Uh, from, from the, the beginning of the time, from the beginning of the fall, um, masters have abused workers, and workers have sinned against masters, and that's been the history of the world. Uh, bosses are often uncaring and abusive, and workers are often uh, taken advantage of, and, and and workers often also seek to take advantage of their bosses, and the world hasn't come up with a solution yet. 
Um, we don't have a, a, a world today, if you look ar- across the globe, uh, you won't find a single place where there are simply no labor troubles, where uh, everyone is working and living together in perfect harmony. It doesn't exist. A communism was supposed to fix the problem by giving the power back to the people, but it rather just placed the power in the, in the hands of the politicians. Uh, labor unions were supposed to help, and in some places have, but labor unions have their own history of corruption, and um, there remains deep dissatisfaction and distrust between employers and employees. So what's wrong with this world? And obviously what's wrong with this world is, that, is, uh, is sin, and that's the easy way of saying it, but the problem you see is that uh, employers and employees are in their own spiritual bondage. Paul's going to talk about slavery and bond service this morning, and, and Paul recognizes that the fundamental problem really has very little to do with the work environment, uh, the, the work, the, the tasks themselves. It has everything to do with what's going on inside the human heart, and inside the human heart, uh, there is selfishness and greed and covetousness and envy and idolatry, all things that wreak havoc on our work experience. And there is no power on earth that can fix what's wrong. No social program, no political system is able to set people free from that spiritual bondage at the root of the, of the problem. And that's why uh, what is so exciting about this text, because Paul here wonderfully applies the power of the gospel to an area of life where the world is is racked with trouble and heartache and shows that God and God alone can radically transform work relationships through the power of the gospel. Uh, This this might seem to be a a simple verse on uh, employees uh, respect and submit to your, your boss and bosses be nice to your employees. Um, that would be a gross misreading of the text. This is, there's, a, there's a miracle at work here, the greatest miracle on earth. Uh, as, as Paul shows us the matchless power of the gospel to transform both the human heart and then human relationships and human social structures. That's what the gospel can do. <clears throat> and that's what we're going to delight in this morning. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans 1.16, where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel why? For it is the power of God unto salvation. And by, when he talks about salvation, he means the whole enterprise of God taking a lost, ruined, uh, hell-bound sinner and bringing that person all the way through uh, the, the chain of redemption into everlasting glory. And so this morning, we're going to just delight together in, in the power of the gospel uh, at work in our lives changing how we think and how we live and how we see things. Uh, just think of this. What, what power in the world is able to take a naturally self-centered woman and, and uh, um, well, we're all, we're all prone to independence. We want to do it our way. And what, what would make that woman want to submit to her flawed husband? Uh, what power is able to take a naturally selfish, self-centered, self-serving man and make him want to humble himself and lovingly serve his wife? What, what power is, that, is, is able to take naturally rebellious children and make them want to obey their parents? What's the power of the gospel? And that same power is able to transform how we work and how we think about our work. We're going to start just by looking at the institution uh, of Slavery and bond service in the world of Paul's day. We, 
Uh, if you have an NIV, you'll see that they translate the Greek word here as uh, slaves. Uh, that's, that's one translation, but the Greek word is, is broader. The Greek word is doulos. It can be translated as slaves or bond servants. A bond servant is someone who uh, hires himself out to someone to work for seven years. And um, you think of Jacob in the Old Testament. He did it, right, two terms over uh, to get his wives. And, and uh, so that's a bond servant. It's a contract. Uh, and then you have, it can also be translated as a, a natural uh, a servant, an employee. And so it covers, it covers all, those, um, all those fields, slaves, bond servants, or a servant. Uh, but slaves need to be kept in mind in particular, I think, here. They were, they were a very common part of a life in Paul's day. John Stott says slavery seems to have been, have been universal in the ancient world. Uh, they, con- they constituted the workforce, included not only domestic servants and manual laborers, but educated people as well, like doctors, teachers, and administrators. Uh, the institution of slavery was a fact of Mediterranean economic life so completely accepted as a part of the labor structure of the time that one cannot correctly speak of the slave problem in antiquity. Doesn't mean there weren't problems. Uh, we do need to understand that the slave, uh, the slavery of that day and slavery of America are radically different. Uh, I think it was John Newton called American slavery the most vilest form of slavery uh, he'd ever imagined. And uh, so, slavery uh, in in that day was not racially based. Uh, people were uh, slaves either being captured by war or slavery could be something you chose uh, in order to improve your situation uh, in life. Um, you maybe we were born a slave, and millions of people were slaves, but race was not a factor in it. And, and the slavery in America involves kidnapping people and selling them, the very worst form of slavery. In those days, uh, that was not the most common form. And yet, slaves and bond servants were despised in the world of Paul's day. If you remember, the Greeks exalted wisdom, the life of the mind. Manual labor was seen as subhuman. And so Aristotle says a slave is a living tool just as a tool is an inanimate slave. So there's no real difference between a slave and your shovel. They're both tools to be used uh, for the interests of the boss, the, uh, the one who owns them. Uh, and, and lest we think that that was just uh, a, a mindset that was, you know, long ago and far away, uh, there are uh, men and women made in the image of God who are suffering under that sort of mentality still today, where, where uh, companies really, truly abuse their workers. Uh, child, maybe you can think of child labor and, and things like that. In, and in our own country, uh, it happens still today. There are people who are suffering uh, greatly under unjust, un, uh, ungodly uh, labor environments and, and practices. So one of the questions that people um, ask is, why doesn't Paul then take this opportunity to take a stand for the worker, right? Um, why, why doesn't he rally the slaves and the bond servants and the servants, the, the people who are universally despised and... Um, and make a stand here to change social and, and economic institutions. Well, he, Paul does speak against uh, the very worst form of slavery in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says that enslavers, people who kidnap and, and sell people, uh, basically are going to go to hell. 
uh, they, they, they live a life apart from the true doctrine of God, and he, and he has a list there of people who do so, and the judgment of God is for them. So Paul does take a stand as far as the moral issue uh, on, on that. But, but Paul's primary issue, you see, is, is not to transform society through uh, engaging the social uh, or economic institutions, but to transform society by, by engaging the gospel of God into the fabric of real life. Uh, Paul's laying hold of something that, uh, that is from another world, uh, uh, t- taking a message that men would never have dreamed of and a truth that God has revealed to him uh, through the Word, uh, a message where God is actually at work engaging this world and transforming this world by the power of the gospel. The Bible gives wisdom, uh, and the gospel brings truth we never would have come to on our own. If, if you were uh, to ask someone in Paul's day, if you could you know, do time travel, and you walk the streets of Rome, and you said to someone, what should be done uh, about the poor treatment of, of, of slaves and, and bond servants in, in this city? Uh, they would have looked at you very strangely, because the, what they're thinking is, what mistreatment, and who, who cares about how servants and slaves are treated? Uh, they were created to be treated poorly. They're a bunch of thieving, right, knuckleheads, whatever. They're, they're, they're a lower class. And if you, don't keep a, if you don't keep a stiff rule over them, they're going to they're gonna get out of control. So they just would have thought it was the strangest question. If you ask a 21st century American, they would have come up with, well, we've got to set the slaves free, you know, and unionize the servants. Paul doesn't go there because Paul is about something else. Paul understands that the fundamental problem isn't the institution, the fundamental problem is the people and, and the bondage of the human heart so that, uh, that people think about slavery and freedom in, uh, in unhelpful terms. Freedom as defined by the common man is self-determination, self-rule, self-will. I just want to be free to do what I want to do. And Paul knows that that freedom is slavery, spiritual slavery, that will bring you down to hell. And that, that spiritual bondage dehumanizes and degrades and debases men and women as thoroughly as any slave owner could. And so that's not what Paul's about. So what is he about? Well, let's look at his instructions first to slaves and then to masters. Verse 5. And remember, this is, this is gospel truth that Paul's going to be pressing home here. Bond servants, slaves, servants, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. First thing you want to notice is that Paul exalts slaves and servants and bond servants by addressing them. They are a part of the church of Jesus Christ. One of the fascinating things that would happen in the New Testament church is that um, a, a slave could be an uh, an overseer in the church, right? So if I'm Master Bill and I've got slaves working for me and then we go to church on Sunday, um, my slave could, could very well be my elder. Uh, because you see in the church, uh, God is no respecter of persons and, and God doesn't respect uh, human institutions in that way. There's this, this wonderful unraveling of the, the human order of things uh, by the gospel. So Paul exalts slaves 
Every truth in the gospel, uh, in the book of Ephesians, every truth of the gospel that Paul lays out is true for masters and slaves, no difference whatsoever. They, have, they are blessed in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. They have been predestined in love by God himself. They've been adopted into uh, the family of God as, as, uh, through Jesus Christ. They are God's workmanship created to do good works which God prepared in advance for them to do. It is an amazing thing to be a slave in the world and yet found to be an adopted child of God. It's no wonder that the gospel spread so rapidly among the working class. Because suddenly they find that uh, they're not what the world says they are. Uh, and their destiny isn't limited to what people say and what people do. They've suddenly found themselves to be part of the royal family of King Jesus. They are royal sons and daughters of the Most High God. Uh, their destiny is, de is determined by the living God who gave his life for them. That, that's a, that's a life-changing thought. Amen. And so you can see why the gospel ran so rapidly uh, among the servants and the slaves. Though they might be the poorest of poor in the world, they've been made heirs of everlasting life and a new heaven and a new earth in Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful gospel. Well, so Paul exalts the, these brothers and sisters and then gives them this very simple instruction, obey your masters. But it's, it's not just brute obedience. He, it's necessary obedience. Right? Paul wants them to recognize that authority, once again, is a God-created reality. We talked about this when we talked about wives submit to your husbands. We talked about it when we talked about children obey your parents. Authority in the world is God's uh, way that the world works. It's God's intent. And, and, and Paul calls us, as those who belong to God, to respect God's intent, to submit to God's intent. This is how God made the world to work. But notice what Paul brings to it as he, as he applies the gospel. He, he shows them that um, this is about Jesus fundamentally. So if you look at your text, notice verse 5. They are to be obedient as they would obey Christ. Verse 6. They are to behave as bondservants of Christ. Verse 7, they're to render their service as to the Lord rather than men. Verse 8, they, they can do so knowing they'll be rewarded by the Lord. See, Paul is, as he wants servants to think about, okay, how do I go to work tomorrow morning? He wants Jesus to be sort of planted right on their forehead. He wants the, 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 the reality of, of what, who they are and what their calling is to be first and foremost foremost. So what they are, you see, is they're bondservants of Jesus Christ. they got a brand new identity. They, they are people who belong to Jesus and can serve Jesus by going to work on Monday morning. They, they serve Jesus specifically by obeying and submitting to their boss. So in Colossians 3.24, Paul says to slaves, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. You see, they're not helpless victims who just came up short in the game of life. That's, it would be so easy to think that. I was just born to the wrong people. I was born in the wrong country, and we got conquered by Rome, and here I am serving some Roman master who hates me. And just the way it is. 
And Paul says, no, it's not just the way it is. You are not a subhuman tool of other men. You are an honored, exalted, royal servant of King Jesus. And you're serving Jesus when you go to work. And therefore, you can do it with a happy heart, with goodwill. Notice verse 7. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to men. Have you ever had a, a boss that uh, you just didn't get along with? Uh, or someone at work that just really got under your skin? I remember uh, when I was in seminary, I was working for uh, Escondido Ready Mix, and um, it was a great job. I was driving a cement truck around, around uh, the hills of Escondido, but the dispatcher terrified me. Um, because he just took a special delight in pointing out, and, and so you have two-way radios in all the trucks, and everything he says goes to all the guys. And I'm a seminary student working part-time. I am on the bottom end of the totem pole. I want to look good uh, to these other, uh, these other men. And uh, I th- Ron, you will know his name. I, th- I, th- I think it's Rick. I-, I can see his face clearly. And I remember his voice distinctly, Van Dyke. You know, he just yelling at me over, and everybody's listening to this. What do you think you're doing? Makes you feel about that big. Um, and I specifically remember thinking, um, as to the Lord, as to the Lord, as to the Lord. That um, the dispatcher doesn't uh, control my destiny. Um, Jesus does. It's a wonderful incentive here. Um, to see past your employee, past the guy that's giving you the difficulty, to see the face of Jesus as you work. That's a wonderful incentive for those who love Jesus. Would you imagine Jesus showing up, your, uh, up at your door tomorrow morning, and, and Jesus says to you, I'd like you to do something for me. Who wouldn't say anything? Jesus, you name it. I would love to do something for you. And we would mean it. If, we, if you love the Lord, it would be the most precious thing in the world that Jesus has, has asked you to do something for him. And then he says, uh, what I want you to do, I want you to, I want you to submit to your husband today. I want you to serve your wife today and actually love your wife today. Boys and girls, I want you to obey your mom and dad today. Um, I want you to go to work today and have a happy heart at, at work. Because that's what he says. As unto me. As unto me. I want you to go to work tomorrow and think about ways that you can bless the people around you and bless your boss. As unto me. For my name's sake. For my glory. That's a wonderful thing to arm yourself with when you go to work. Uh, that's, that, because work can be difficult and, and work can battle sometimes against our humanity and our dignity. Maybe you find yourself doing a menial task that other people just really look down on. When, when people ask you, what do you do? You're not quick to say, um, well, actually I do this. I wash dishes. I, I sweep floors. Because the conversation goes, oh, what do you do? Right? On to somebody else. But you see, if you're doing a menial task, maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're a mom at home, and, and, and it, it, it can feel like you're, I mean, you've got a degree from a, a good college. Uh, you, used to, you used to have a career. Now you have children, and, and sometimes that can feel like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm doing laundry and diapers and, and wiping faces all day long. How does this make sense? How is this meaningful? 
Jesus tells you how it's meaningful. As unto me, as unto me, as unto me. All the time, in every context. Sensing that significance and value, see, doesn't come from the things that the world uh, places significance and value on. It comes from what Jesus places significance and value on. And Jesus places significance and value on on obeying authority structures, doing good with a happy heart as unto him. And Jesus promises to reward that. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether a bondservant or free. What a wonderful motivation. If you're a slave, you're not getting paid anything except the food that you eat and maybe the clothes on your back. If you're a bondservant, you're basically buying your freedom. If you're an employee, you're working for probably minimum wage, low wage. But Paul just turns that whole thing on its head. You're not, that's not what you're working for. You're working for eternal treasures. You're, Jesus says, whatever good anyone does, doesn't matter station. This he will receive back from the Lord. Now the question is, do you believe that? Because I think most of us don't. Or at least it's just in one ear, out the other ear. When's the last time you did something specifically, intentionally, in the conviction that Jesus promised to pay you for it? But that's what it says. Exactly what it says. Whatever good, this he will receive back from the Lord. We need to be convinced that it's true. That'll, that'll transform your life. What a, what a way to live. What a, what a good God-honoring motive to die to yourself and start blessing people intentionally as unto Jesus. You see, for a Christian, we work for completely different reasons in a sense. We work, as the world does, uh, tilling the soil. We work manufacturing and building and and doing science and art and and all the different endeavors that God has given men to do. And we do it to uh, to exercise our gifts or we do it uh, to make a wage. We need to live and God's provided this as a gift. So we we do all that, but there's something wonderfully more. Work has become this wonderful avenue that we get to exercise to bless others by the power of the Holy Spirit, as unto Jesus, for the glory of God our Father. And that's why we work. That's why we work. Whether we're a master or a slave, Paul goes right into verse 9, masters, you do the same thing. Stop threatening your slaves. You see, masters would assume, sinful fallen masters assume that the only way you can get other people to do what you want them to do is to threaten them. And Paul says there's no room for that, for a Christian master. Jesus has promised to reward them. How dare you threaten them? You're to do the same. You're to to live under the same principle, that these are your royal brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And you're called to do good to them, do good to your employees, knowing that Jesus promises to reward you. See, Paul turns things uh, on their head in in, in, uh, I believe in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about how if if whatever station you are in life, don't don't bother about changing. If you're you're a bondservant, if you're a slave, if you can get your freedom, do so, but 
But the most important thing is remember that if you're a, if you're a bondservant or a slave in the world, you're a free person in Jesus Christ. And if you're, a, if you're a freed man and you've come to Christ, remember, you're a bondservant, a slave to Jesus. You see, Paul uses the gospel to upend our categories and teach us a whole new way to think and a whole new way to live as sons and daughters of God. You see, friends, the gospel isn't just a story that we believe. It's, it's the amazing truth of what God has actually accomplished in Jesus Christ for sinners, uh, reconciling us to God, filling us with his Holy Spirit, calling us to a brand new freedom in Jesus Christ to live a life that pleases him by his grace and power, a life that Jesus promises to reward. That's what the gospel does. If you're here today just living for you, you're in bondage. Whether you, you might bear the name of Christian, but if you're, if you're motivated in your marriage, in your relationships, in your work, what's motivating you fundamentally is simply you. Paul invites you into the, the, the glorious freedom of the children of God to work with a brand new attitude, a brand new insight, brand new motivation. You're not just a worker. You're a child of the king. You're a servant of Christ. And so go and live in the truth according to Jesus. Friends, I guarantee you that could change Sunday anxiety into Sunday evening anticipation. Where Sunday night you thank the Lord that you're going to have a whole week, if God grants it, for you to live in obedience to King Jesus. A whole week where you can use your gifts and the opportunities that you have to serve him for his glory and your reward. May God grant it to all of us. Amen. Father in heaven, we need to hear your word. We need to have our minds reprogrammed. We need to understand, Lord, ever more fully our identity as the children of God and how the gospel makes a difference where we work. Lord, I, I pray that you would bless this congregation. I pray, Lord, that we would go to work tomorrow with a smile on our face, with a happy heart, eager to bless others, to do good as unto Jesus. For Jesus, you've asked it of us. And, and Lord, if we're employees uh, or, or, or em, uh, employers, whatever the case might be, I pray, Lord, that our demeanor would just reflect the truths that we've heard today, would reflect who we actually are and, and, the, and the calling of our Savior. And Lord, I pray that we would then stand out as Christians, that we, uh, we work for different motives, with different, uh, with different motives. We, we work with joy in our heart. We work to please our Master. And I pray, Lord, that that would be a compelling reason for people to ask us, the reason for the hope within us. So, Father, we, uh, we, just, we ask you to press this home by your Spirit for our good, for your glory. Amen. Let's respond to God's word this morning. We're going to pray together. May the mind of Christ, my Savior, live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do, all I say. Let's, let's pray it together.